Thank you for choosing to listen to our sermon podcast. My name is Chris Mitchell. I'm one of the pastors here at First Covenant Church of Anchorage. If you have any questions or prayer requests, feel free to stop by or send an email to office at anchoragefirstcovenant.com. God bless. Over the past few weeks, we've been going over the book of Ruth. And the reason why we chose to go through Ruth is because it's a story where, where God's kind of absent. Um, there are no big miracles in the book, no huge prophetic words, uh, no calls to reform or change the country. It's just the story of a poor widow, Naomi, her foreign widowed daughter-in-law, Ruth, and their struggle to survive. And that's a lot like our lives. Because in our lives, sometimes God will show up in big, huge ways. And that's awesome when he does. But often, it's more in, in more subtle ways, and smaller ways that God shows up. And we have to learn how to see him. And if you re- as you read through the book of Ruth, if you read closely, you can see the work of God in the lives of these women. God is at work behind the scenes, caring for them. Um, And they are considered the least in society. They're widows. They're foreigners. And if God cares so much for these small women, not the kings, not the prophets, not anything else big, if God cares so much for these women that he puts them, that he gave us their story to hold in our sacred scripture, that we can know that he cares for us too. That he loves us just as lavishly as he loves um, Ruth and Naomi. Now, we're about to start chapter 3, but I just want to really recap the, last, the first two chapters. Uh, uh, Naomi, along with her husband and two sons, they flee to Moab during a time of drought in Israel. And then, there in Moab, Naomi's husband, he dies. And her two sons marry Moabite women. And the women are Orpah and Ruth. Now, ten years later, Naomi's sons also die, and they're childless. They don't have any kids. So Naomi releases Orpah and Ruth, just says, go home. Like, we have no ties. There's no grandkids. Just go home. But Ruth refuses to leave Naomi. And she goes back with Naomi to Bethlehem, Naomi's old hometown in Israel. And there she lives. And Ruth goes to pick up scraps of grain left in the field behind the harvest. And she happens to go to the field of Boaz. Now, Boaz is a relative of Naomi's husband. And he has compassion for the widows. And he's impressed with Ruth's faithfulness. So Boaz allows her to harvest grain from the more plentiful parts of the field. And he ensures her safety. He He tells all of his workers to leave him alone. And he gives her food and water to sustain her as she works. Now, Naomi, recognizing the good fortune, i.e. God's leading, of Ruth, tells Ruth, just, just harvest from Boaz's field. Don't go into the other fields. Because those fields are kind of dangerous places anyways. Because they're, they're the fields that are already picked over. They're big, empty places. You know, and, a, and a young woman by herself, you know, anything could happen there. So 
you know this is a place where you're going to be provided for, where you're going to be safe. And so Naomi tells her daughter-in-law, Ruth, to harvest from there. All right. With all that, let's read Ruth chapter 3. Naomi's mother-in-law said to her, My daughter, shouldn't I seek security for you so that things might go well for you? Now isn't Boaz, whose young woman you were with, our relative? Tonight he will be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. You should bathe, put on some perfume, wear nice clothes, and then go down to the threshing floor. Don't make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, notice the place where he is lying. Then go, uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. Ruth replied to her, I'll do everything you are telling me. So she went down to the threshing floor, and she did everything just as her mother-in-law had ordered. Boaz ate and drank, and he was in a good mood. He went over to lie down by the edge of the grain pile. Then she quietly approached, uncovered his legs, and lay down. During the middle of the night, the man shuddered and turned over, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. She replied, I'm Ruth, your servant. Spread out your road over your servant, because you are a redeemer. He said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have acted even more faithfully than you did at first. You haven't gone after the rich or poor young men. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I'll do for you everything you're asking. Indeed, my people, all who are at the gate, know that you are a woman of worth. Now, although certainly, though it's certainly true that I am a redeemer, there's a redeemer who's a closer relative than I. Stay the night, and in the morning, if, if he'll redeem you, good, then let him redeem. But if he doesn't want to redeem you, as the Lord lives, I myself will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until morning. Then she got up before one person could recognize another, for he had said, No one should know the woman that came to the threshing floor. He said, Bring the cloak that you have on and hold it out. She held it out, and he measured out six measures of barley and placed it upon her. And then she went into town. She came to her mother-in-law, who said, How are you, my daughter? So Ruth told her everything the man had done for her. She said, he gave me these six measures of barley, for he said to me, Don't go away empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Sit tight, my daughter, Naomi replied, until you know how it turns out. The man won't rest until, resol until he resolves the matter today. All right. Now, now, there's a few things I'd like to explain in the story. Um, when Naomi's telling Ruth to, to dress up and put on perfume and stuff, she's letting Ruth know that it's okay to move on. Okay. The mourning period for her husband is over. Okay. So she's having Naomi's having Ruth dressed in a way that shows that she's available, right? She's changing, you know, her Facebook status from 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 widowed to single. And this whole business about curling up at Boaz's feet when he was asleep, well that's 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 pretty scandalous. And I, I checked uh, three different commentaries to make to to read this to make sure if it sounds better. Um, but honestly, it was just meant to be sexy. It just was. Uh, because when you're interested in someone, there is flirtation. If you like somebody, there, there is some flirtation that happens. You may, there is making yourself look nice and presentable. Uh, there's a certain amount of preening and, and strutting. 
and we should be sexually attracted to our mate or potential mate. Now, that's not the only thing in the relationship, but it's an important part. It is an important part. Now, this is not a recommendation to do what Ruth does. Um, sorry, Carl, I like the Band-Aids. Um, I do not endorse all of uh, Ruth's behaviors, but the appropriate way to demonstrate your attraction to somebody, it, it's, kind of, it's kind of culturally determined. And that was an acceptable way in that culture to kind of say, hey, I'm interested in you. And Naomi's instructions and Ruth's actions, they are full of sexual innuendo. <laughs> they are. So they are meant to make you giggle a little bit. Um, so because that's a part of relationships and, and part of being human. Um, now, it is clear from the text that uh, Ruth and Boaz did not have sex at that time. But I would say from the way the language is being used, the tension is high, right? Um, there, there is a lot of interest. All right. So I just want to make that clear. Um, the next thing I want to point out was that Ruth proposed to Boaz. I don't know if you caught that, but in verse 9, she replied, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread out your robe over your servant because you're a redeemer. Ruth is taking all the initiative in this relationship. She's proposing to Boaz. Okay? She's asking Boaz to marry her. Um, this is an important part, um, but I think this is one of those things that gets talked about a lot, so I don't want to spend a lot of time, hard time talking about it with this story. Um, but there's this bit about being a redeemer. Now often, this is what gets talked about in the story, and it's an important part, um, but because it gets talked about so much, I'm not gonna spend that much time with it. But that's a reference to Deuteronomy 25 and Leviticus 25. And a redeemer is a relative that assumes the responsibility and the debts of a family member. And it was a way to make sure that the family lines are always provided for, that the land will be fairly distributed amongst the different tribes, and that the poor are cared for by their family. So. If somebody dies, the widow, the, and they're childless, the, 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 the man's younger brother is supposed to marry the widow to provide her a son so she has a son, and then the inheritance isn't divided and stuff like that. It stays in the family line. But here's the rub. Ruth was not an Israelite. Okay? Ruth was a Moabite. The law didn't actually apply to her. Um, it was actually against the law to marry a Moabite. But Boaz, just being wowed by Ruth, by her interest, um, and you know, he was obviously attracted to her, he tells her that he will act as a kinsman redeemer. But there is another person that can claim the, claim the right. There's a nearer relative that can take on that role. So he's got to make sure that that's okay first. And that's where the story leaves off. Their fate is in Boaz's hands. So what do we learn from this story? Why is this in the Bible? What are we supposed to glean? Um, well, one thing I think it means that our integrity matters. Our integrity matters. Uh, what attra attracted Ruth to Boaz? Well, in uh, ch the chapter 2, 
uh, I think it was verse 11, he was referred to as a, a Gibor Hael, which is a man of standing, a man of noble character. He was generous. He was thoughtful. And, and, it, and he had some land. Let's, let's not forget that. But more than that, he could have taken advantage of his position. He could have taken advantage of his position when Ruth started showing up at the fields, but he didn't. He went out of the way to make sure that she was protected. And even after you know, Ruth shows up in the middle of the night, laying at his feet, and, and offers herself to marry him, he still doesn't take advantage. Actually, in um, verses 12 and 13, he repeats the word redeemer, redeemer, six times. That means he is committed to redeeming her. That's how much it's on his mind. He is committed to work for his good. He's a good guy. His integrity matters. He was a man of integrity. And what attracts him to her? Well, it says in verse 11, the whole village knows that, he's, that she's Eshet Hayel. And that's a woman of noble character, similar to a man of noble character, a woman of standing and of substance. She had abandoned the gods of her people. She had left the lands of her birth. She has moved to a new and unknown place to support her ex-mother-in-law. Right? They're, they're not actually really related anymore. They're divorced, or widowed. But Boaz calls her Eshat Hael. He likened her to, to the idealized version, version of a woman found in Proverbs 31. He calls this foreign-born, uh, pagan-born woman the paragon, the paragon, the ideal of womanly virtue. Right? Their, their, their faith and their character, that outweighed their differences. They were both people of character. And they had differences in age. It seems like Boaz was an older guy. Ruth was younger. Um, Boaz had standing. Ruth had none. They didn't have the same ethnicity. But their integrity causes them to notice one another. It stands out in the community. Our integrity matters. Who we are matters. How we hold to our word matters. How we take care of people matters. And two, we have an obligation to participate in the good work that God's doing in this world. Things are happening in the lives of Ruth and Naomi, but they're not inactive participants in their lives. They work hard. They take initiative. They're strategic. They make plans. Um, I'm going to butcher this name, but there's a South African scholar. Her name is Madapone Mesenya, and she praises Ruth and Naomi in her work for... Um, refusing to be victims of their circumstance. Masenya exhorts us, as individuals and participants in structures of power, to become willing agents to take upon ourselves the responsibility to transform our hopeless situations. Trusting in God, as Ruth, Naomi and Ruth did, to make us rise above those circumstances. <clears throat> and this is something I feel like I have to say. I, I believe in systematic injustice. I believe that there are things in our society that systematically discriminate, not always intentionally, but in the way things work out. I think that there are biases against many people of color, of women, of older folks, um, people with different uh, psychological or physical or emotional differences. Basically, anybody that doesn't fit the certain mold. And I have not been shy, really, about preaching and teaching about that. 
I've, I've said that. Um, systemic sin is real and it has real consequences. And we should be aware of it, we should repent of it, and we should combat it. So, I, I want to make that clear. But I remember, I think it was my second year here, um, I was talking to an older uh, gentleman um, who was Alaska Native. And he was just talking, he was telling his life story. And he told me that he knew that he always had to prove, he, that he always had to work three times as hard as a white man to prove that he should have his job. Okay, that's what this uh, Native man said. He was, he was an older guy. And he always felt like he had to work three times as hard to show, to prove his worth. And, and his voice kind of cracked whenever he said it. And tears, I mean, not a lot because, you know, he was stoic, you know, like the couple tears on the corner of his eyes. Um, but he talked about the racism he'd received in the workplace throughout his life. And I could only sit and lament with him as he shared his story. But then he said with pride, I did it. I showed them. Okay, he did it. He showed them. Now, he shouldn't have had to show them. He sh it shouldn't have been harder for him. Okay, that's not okay. But let's face it, the injustice was there. The unfairness was there. And he had to decide whether he was going to be a passive victim of, of the, that sort of racism or if he was going to fight against it. And he fought it. He wasn't going to let society and culture define his worth. So he resisted the evils of society by doing his job well. Ruth and Naomi are an example of people that society had cast off that are working, they're plotting, they're scheming, and they're dreaming for a better life. They refused to participate in their, in their suffering. They worked against their suffering. As we're all called to work against suffering, whether it's ours or the suffering of those around us, we're called to fight against evil, to actively participate in God's redemptive work. Uh, Hebrews 6, 10 through 12 reads, God isn't unjust that he forgets your efforts and the love you have shown to his namesake when you have served and continued to serve God's holy people. But we desperately want each of you to show the same effort to make sure your hope, to make your hope sure until the end. This is so you won't be lazy, but follow the example of one to inherit the promise through faith and patience. We are called to get into the mess. Um, we're not called to just kind of be victims of circumstance, right? We're called to participate, okay? That might mean some people unfairly, completely unfairly have to work harder and we should support them, you know, and knowing that they're having to work harder. But Ruth and Naomi show you, show us that just because you're a victim Unfair practices doesn't mean you're stuck there. That you can that you can work, that you should participate. And point three. God is at work. Even when we can't see him. He who began a good work will not give it up. He will not quit. He will not stop. Okay? That's what's happening with Ruth and Naomi. God is at work behind the scenes. God is the one to shoot Naomi. Or sorry, Ruth. Going to a field, like, all right, well, I'm going to go do some work. I know I have to get some work. 
so we can eat. He just happens to go to this Boaz's field, this one man, the man of good character. He didn't plan, she didn't plan that. She didn't know. She's a foreigner. But God was guiding her there. All right? God is at work behind the scenes. God's at the work behind the scenes in your life. There are things happening in your life and things that have happened where you're like, I, I don't know how that happened. You know, oh, it was, I was just so lucky that that, that happened. Um, things work that way sometimes. I think many of us have stories where things that we didn't expect happened, good things happened. And we could say like, oh, we were just lucky. But that wasn't luck. That was God. That was God bringing out good. Psalm 13.7 says, God lifts the poor up from the dirt and raises the needy from the garbage pile. Okay? God lifts the poor up. He raises the needy. And we know Romans 8.28, right? One of my favorite, that God works all things together for the goods of the ones who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. All right? doesn't mean everything good that is going to happen to you, but it means that every tragedy Every tragedy is part of a larger story that is going to come good. God is going to work to make every tragedy a blessing. That's what God does. God takes the hard things of our lives and turns it into blessings. So, I pray that as we go, we can remember Who we are as people matter. What we do matters. We pray that we're just not passive agents in the society. That God's given us agency to do things, to make a difference. And that we commit to that. And that we trust that God will be doing a good work, even when we can't see it. Even when we don't know all the things that are happening behind the scenes. But we trust that God is good all the time. Let's pray. Holy Father God, you are a good, good Father. We trust you for the work that you do, for the love that you share, for the grace that you give, that you offer. Lord, we pray that you give us eyes to see you, to see how you're at work in our lives, to see, to see how you're at work in our world, redeeming, restoring, not letting evil have the last word, but working to bring about the fullness of your kingdom. In Christ's name, amen.